the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend producing, Sam Maupin engineering. Today we'll talk with Michael Morris. He's managing editor of Free Speech America with the Media Research Center. We'll talk about the president's Gender Disinformation Board 2.0. We'll find out if this is just another version of the government disinformation effort. We'll also talk with Luke Cirillo. He is the CEO of First Image. We'll talk about the events that took place in the Southeast Portland and Gresham Pregnancy Resource Centers, destroying a portion of one and knocking out the windows of the other. We'll talk not only about what happened, but how the PRCs intend to move forward. I should mention that Options 360, one of their offices, was also damaged in this summer of rage, as it's been declared. First, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. One question uh, that I appreciated uh, having addressed by Victor Davis Hansen is what the January 6th committee might have been. As you know, for the last several days, yesterday was a day off, but for the last several days, including the um, highly produced version of a hearing, uh, have been looking into events surrounding January 6th and a, an attempt to um, overthrow the uh, uh, the government, at least that's the charge that's being made. Well, Victor Davis Hansen makes the point that while the effort is certainly legitimate, the way Congress has gone about it has raised some uh, important questions. He writes that Congress should investigate fully the January 6th riot at the Capitol. I would agree. And similar recent riots at iconic federal uh, sites. But unfortunately, it never will. Why not? The current committee is not bipartisan. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi forbade Republican nominees traditionally selected by the House Minority Leader to serve on the committee. No speaker had ever before rejected the minority party's nominees to a select House committee. Pelosi's own cynical criteria for Republican participation was twofold. Any willing minority Republican members had to have voted to impeach former President Donald Trump while having no realistic change, uh, rather chance of being reelected in 2022. Of some 210 Republican House members, that left just Representative Liz Cheney, a uh, Republican out of Wyoming, and Adam Kinzinger, a Republican out of Illinois, who were willing and able to fit Pelosi's profile. Out of 210, a real investigation would have ignited argumentation, cross-examination and disagreement, the sort of give and take for which congressional committees are famous. In contrast, the January 6th show trial features no dissenting views. Its subtext it was right out of the Soviet Ministry of Internal Affairs, um, Pav- Pavlov's um, credo, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. If Trump was not considering uh, a, th- uh, a third run for the presidency, would the committee even have existed? Well, its slick Hollywood-produced optics demonstrate that the committee has no interest in inconvenient facts. 
Why did a Capitol officer lethally shoot a petite unarmed woman entering the Capitol window? And why was the officer's identity and, indeed, all information about his record withheld from the public? Why did the committee not investigate whether large numbers of FBI agents and informants were ubiquitous among the crowd? After all, progressive New York Times reporter Matthew Rosenberg, who was there on January 6th, claimed there were a ton of FBI informants amongst the people who attacked the Capitol. Not an issue in the hearings as they're being conducted now about his own journalistic colleagues advancing a uh, a psychodramatic insurrection narrative. Rosenberg scoffed. They were making too big a deal. They were making January 6th some organized thing that it wasn't. And this is a New York Times columnist, not Washington Times. A real committee would also investigate why there were lots of warnings that a large crowd would assemble, but apparently little government follow up to ensure security should rogue elements turn violent. The real committee would learn why the government and media insisted that Officer Brian Sicknick was killed by Trump supporters, even it was known he died of natural causes. None of the questions will be answered because none will be asked because the committee's role is not inquiry, but confirmation of a useful narrative. A real committee would also investigate the other far larger and more lethal riots um, on iconic federal property months earlier. On May the 31st, 2020, for example, violent demonstrators tried to rush the White House grounds. Rioters sought to burn down the nearby historic St. John's Episcopal Church. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser mysteriously did not send police to reinforce overwhelmed Secret Service agents who at uh, moments seemed unable to keep the mob from the White House itself. The giddy New York Times later uh, crowed, Trump shrinks back, was the Times preening that the president was a coward for retreating from a righteous mob. Well, as a precaution, the Secret Service removed the president and first family to a safe underground bunker. Such uh, riots near or at the White House continued for much of the fall before mysteriously tapering off in the last weeks before the election. Less than three weeks after the violent Washington riot, Democratic vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris seemed to incite the continuing violent protests. They're not going to stop. This is a movement. There's not um, or they're not going to let up and they should not. And we should not end quote. Well, note that Harris uh, cheerleading was joined by a host of prominent left wing luminaries who contextualized the violence. The 1619 Project architect Nicole Hannah Jones boasted destroying property which can be replaced is not violence. Destroying property that can be replaced is not violence. Former CNN anchor Chris Cuomo pontificated, and please show me where it says protesters are supposed to be polite and peaceful, end quote. Note that the 2020 summer rioting, arson, and looting continued for nearly four months. Its toll resulted in over 35 dead, some 1,500 police officers injured, around 14,000 arrests, and between uh, $1 to $2 billion in property damage. The violence was often aimed at iconic government buildings from courthouses to police precincts. There were there was never a day, never any federal investigation to determine why state, local and federal officials allowed the, de- the destruction to continue. Why were the vast majority of those arrested simply released by authorities? And how had Antifa and BLM radicals orchestrated the violent using of social media? What was the role of prominent elected officials in either condoning or encouraging the violence or communicating with the ruling uh, the ringleaders, a truly bipartisan House Select Committee dedicated to ending all violence directed at the White House, the Capitol or federal courthouses, might have been useful in probing this dark period in American history. And that is precisely why there was no such committee. So while holding individuals accountable for their actions, 
on January 6th, before and after, it doesn't seem that this committee is um, interested in the broader questions with regard to that season in our history. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show coming up in our second hour. Michael Morris with the Media Research Center and Luke Cirillo with the first image. All of that in the second hour of today's program. Quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Border Patrol agents are furious after it's emerged that the Department of Homeland Security is expected to punish multiple agents who were caught up in a since-debunked allegation that they whipped Haitian migrants in Del Rio last year, exacerbating already rock-bottom morale among agents who see a the politicized investigation designed to deliver a result for the White House. What we're seeing right now is the executive branch weaponizing the Office of Professional Responsibility to go after what President Biden perceives as political opponents. National Border Patrol Council President Brandon Judd said he uh, doesn't like the Border Patrol. He has never liked the mission of the Border Patrol. And now he is going after these agents because he panders to open border activists. This should never happen in this country, end quote. Well, it was reported that DHS is preparing to discipline multiple horseback Border Patrol agents involved in the incident of Haitian migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border back in September, where some Democrats and immigration activists incorrectly believed they saw agents whipping Haitian migrants. Well, a federal source said that an announcement on the matter is expected within the coming days. The agents are expected to discipline uh, the agents with administrative violations rather than any criminal conduct, which was ruled out by the DHS Office of the Inspector General last year. The DHS will be uh, putting forward their proposals for discipline to the agents, and the agents will then have a chance to respond and either accept the discipline or fight it. It's expected they will fight it, having been exonerated before. Well, the U.S. stock market route that has put U.S. entities in a bear market isn't just reducing the net worth of billionaires like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. It's also taking a toll on Americans' retirement savings, swiping out trillions of dollars in value. And don't I know it? Well, the sell-off has eased nearly $3 trillion, or rather erased nearly $3 trillion from U.S. retirement accounts. That's according to the director of the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College. The calculations, 401k plan participants have lost about $1.4 trillion from their accounts since the end of 2021. People with IRAs, most of which are 401k rollovers, have lost $2 trillion this year. Well, this year's stock slump is the most severe market downturn since March of 2020 when COVID-19 erupted in the U.S. Historically, 401k investments take about two years after a market decline of this size to regain their previous value. Anyone who has uh, has to retire when the market is down is in bad shape. Younger people, you can kind of wait it out. These things have uh, a uh, way of coming back time and time again. But people who use their retirement money to support themselves really suffer in this kind of event. Hmm. Well, it certainly has changed my plans. I'll just leave it at that. Well, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, was questioned by Senator Rand Paul during a Senate committee hearing today. Uh, Dr. Fauci admitted 
that even though the Biden administration recommends that everyone over the age of five gets a booster dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, there's currently insufficient evidence to prove that the boosters actually lower rates of hospitalization or death in children. Well, during a Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee hearing, Senator um, Rand Paul asked Fauci if he was aware of any studies that showed a reduction in deaths or hospitalizations for children who had received boosters. Right now, there's not enough data that has been accumulated, uh, Senator Paul, to indicate that that's the case. Fauci stated they were being very cordial to one another. It's not always the case. The director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases began to explain that he's um, he thinks the basis for the recommendation had to do with looking at morbidity and mortality of children in different age groups when the senator cut him off. So there are no studies. The Americans should all know this. There are no studies on children showing a reduction in hospitalization or death with taking a booster, Paul said. Uh, he is, uh, uh, Rand Paul, of course, is also a doctor. He noted that the only study that had been done were antibody studies, which he argued were not enough to prove vaccines efficacy. He claimed that just because a vaccine produces antibodies, that does not uh, mean it is necessary uh, to illustrate his point, he argued that a person could get 10 boosters and get antibodies from all of them, but that does not mean a person needs to get 10 booster shots. Well, Israel and Iran are rapidly approaching an inflection point over Tehran's nuclear program, and what was the atomic equivalent of a controlled clash between the two countries is now devolving into an unconstrained chain reaction. In late May, the International Atomic Energy Agency, the United Nations Agency, tasked with globally overseeing nuclear technology and use, reported that Iran possesses enough fissile material to construct a nuclear bomb. Jerusalem's long-feared specter of Tehran becoming an existential threat to Israel is now very real and imminent. Iran's amassing of 95 pounds of highly enriched uranium is deeply concerning. Sufficient HEU mass is required for a nuclear chain reaction to sustain itself, and Tehran has ominously crossed that minimum threshold. More telling, however, is Iran's decision to enrich its HEU stockpile to 60 percent, a level significantly beyond the 3 percent to 5 percent the HEU enriched Enrichment needed to produce fuel for medical experiments in nuclear power plants. Spoken or not, Tehran is nearly aiming at 90 percent HEU enrichment, the level necessary to build an atomic bomb. For Israel, it is 1981 redux when then Israel, Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin and his security cabinet authorized Operation Babylon to destroy Saddam Hussein's nuclear facility. Iraq's atomic threat was largely theoretical in nature in 1981. Iran's today is far more dire and will be exponentially more difficult to eliminate. The Ayatollahs have been down this path before, targeting Israel and Saudi Arabia. Known as the Ahmad Plan, Iran intended to build five 10-kiloton nuclear warheads by 2003, according to documents seized from a Tehran warehouse in 2018 by Mossad, Israel's espionage agency. Iran even had begun developing an atomic test site in the Mars-like dead zone, of the Lut Desert, roughly 500 miles northeast of Dubai or 1,500 miles east of Tel Aviv. Guardrails aimed at uh, avoiding this, this crisis are fast dissipating. The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action is all but dead, brokered by the Obama administration in July of 2015. The accord was intended to severely curtail Iran's ability to develop nuclear weapons. Other decisions, however, 
contradicted that plan. So the question is whether or not Israel and Iran are five minutes from Armageddon. Well, in other news, and let me just get this clip off of there. Um, In a lesson in hypocrisy, President Biden and Nancy Pelosi and other top Democrats sent their kids to private schools, but they are staunchly opposed to school choice. Missing the mark, experts say proposed gun control measures lack empirical evidence they reduce crimes. Asked where it's the um, outrage, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's neighbors are questioning the media's muted response to the threat on his life. Out with the old, should Washington's elder leaders hand over power to a younger generation? Americans are increasingly weighing in, even those on the left. Smart money moves, ways to position yourself financially after the Fed's historic rate hike. Well, there are lots of suggestions out there. In another case of democracy divided, voters are voicing strong support for gun reform, but split over which party would better handle the gun control issue. I suppose the midterm elections will demonstrate that answer. Saddled with rage, Border Patrol agents are furious after it was emerged that the Department of Homeland Security is expected to punish multiple agents. CNN's Van Jones says Democrats are looking closely at President Biden's advanced age and admitted Tuesday he gets nervous over some of the president's verbal stumbles. CNN's Aaron Burnett cited a recent New York Times report that noted former Obama White House advisor David Axelrod is among an increasing number of Democrats who believe Biden could be too old to seek reelection in 2024. The president already the oldest president to ever hold office turns 80 in November and would be 86 years old at the end of a second term. Forget both sides. CNN's Don Lemon tells fellow journalists no false sense of equivalency between Republicans and Democrats. Sean Hannity says the Fed's rate um, rate hike is going to negatively impact mortgage rates and the housing market in Joe Biden's cratering economy. In a major mission, U.S. forces captured a senior ISIS bomb maker after a pulse-pounding raid. On the price of going woke, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts writes, the Biden administration's U.S. Department of Agriculture has plenty to worry about, which is what makes their camp, uh, campaign pitting transgender policies against food security even more baffling. Early last month, the USDA announced it will expand its definition of sex discrimination to include sexual orientation and gender identity. This means that now anyone who helps distribute food aid must deploy divisive transgender policies like allowing men into girls' bathrooms or locker rooms, or they risk losing federal aid. No agency is more powerful, no more responsible for ensuring the food security of American families than the USDA. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment and we'll continue our march through the headlines. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Biden's poor handling of the economy could end his presidency, according to the Daily Wire. The president uh, falsely claims in a Wednesday, Wednesday speech for the AFL-CIO that inflation is hitting the rest of the world worse than in the United States. Under my plan for the economy, the president says, we've made extraordinary progress. 
Biden nevertheless argued at the labor unions conference and we put America in a position to tackle the worldwide problem that's worse everywhere. But here inflation, however, data from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development or OECD shows that the United States boasts higher inflation rates than many other developed countries. The 8.3 percent inflation rate seen in uh, the United States as of April was higher than the 7.8 percent in the United Kingdom, 7.4 percent in Germany, the 6.8% rate in Canada, and 6% in Italy, 4.8% in South Korea, and 2.5% rate in Japan. Benny Johnson points out the gloves are off. CNN ends Biden's presidency. Awful Biden is doing worse than Jimmy Carter. Wow, that's CNN. Last week, Karen Jean-Pierre stated the economy is in a good place. Charlie Kirk weighs in saying... When you have the amount of dollar bills in the economy that is increased preemptively and the economy cratered, there's no other way to fix it than to raise interest rates. And you have to grin and bear a recession for multiple years. Democrats are going to have to own this at the ballot box. Well, the campaign to recall Los Angeles D.A. George Gascon gathered enough signatures to force a vote. ABC reports that the group seeking to recall the Los Angeles County District Attorney, George Gascon, said on Wednesday that it has collected enough signatures to qualify. In a statement, the recall DA campaign announced that it has has, uh, surpassed 566,857 signatures collected as of Tuesday, which equates to 10 percent of registered voters in the country in the county, rather, and is the required threshold to officially initiate a recall. Organizers said their focus has now turned to collecting as many additional signatures as possible to ensure there is a necessary cushion to offset those that are invalidated by the county registrar of voters. The campaign's stated goal is to submit 650 to 700,000 total signatures or more. Environmentalists are suing the Biden administration for approving oil and gas drilling permits. The Wall Street Journal reports that environmental groups sued the administration on Wednesday, saying that its decision to approve more than 3,500 oil and natural gas drilling permits in New Mexico and Wyoming violated environmental laws by not taking into account the impact on climate change. In their lawsuit filed in U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C., the conservation nonprofits Center for Biological Diversity and Wild Earth Guardians say the um, approved oil and gas wells will release as much as 600 million metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions, worsening climate change and damaging U.S. ecosystems. The federal permitting agency has admitted that continued oil and gas exploitation is a significant cause, yet the agency continues to issue thousands of new oil and gas permits, end quote. Roughly 10 percent of U.S. oil and gas production comes from federal land. Most comes from state and private land. The Federal Reserve skyrocketed interest rates uh, by 0.75 percentage points and the largest increase since 1994. And a pro-abortion terror group announced that pregnancy resource centers are fair game for violence. We'll talk more about that later in the program. But Katie Pavlich at Town Hall says the violent pro-abortion group Jane's Revenge, which is connected to the leftist anarchist group Antifa, has declared open season on pro-life crisis pregnancy centers and has issued an ultimatum. Andy No says Jane's Revenge, the terrorist far left group connected to Antifa that carried out attacks targeting religious buildings and pregnancy centers, has released a new statement saying it's open season. Jane's Revenge, your 30 days expired yesterday. We offered an honorable way out. You could have walked away. Now the leash is off and we will make it as hard as possible for your campaign of oppression to continue. And the statement goes on 
from there. I hope you're praying for the pregnancy resource centers locally and around the country. Elon Musk is leaning toward Governor Ron DeSantis in 2024, much to Democrats' chagrin. It would be the first time he cast a Republican vote. Tesla CEO Elon Musk said he voted Republican for the first time ever, casting a ballot for Myra uh, Mayra Flores, who claimed victory in the special election for Texas 34th Congressional District, flipping the House seat red. She will be the first Mexican-born congresswoman to serve in the House. Musk also predicted a massive red wave is coming in 2022 and suggested he's leaning toward voting for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for president should he decide to run in 2024. Russia has further decreased the gas flow to Europe after Canadian sanctions kicked in. Russia's Gazprom announced a reduction in natural gas flows through a key European pipeline for the second day in a row on Wednesday, creating further energy turmoil for Europe and it try, as it tries rather to reduce its extensive use of Russian oil and natural gas amid the war in Ukraine. The state-owned energy giant said on Twitter that deliveries through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany would be cut again. That's on Thursday, today, bringing the overall reduction through the undersea pipeline to 60%. The drop in shipments of gas used to power industry and generate electricity would amount to some 16 billion cubic meters by the end of the year and around 10 percent of total European Union gas imports from Russia, according to an energy policy expert at the um, energy oil tank in Brussels. The new cut came a day after Gazprom uh, said it would reduce flows by 40 percent after Canadian sanctions over the war prevented German partner Siemens Energy from delivering overhauled equipment. It blamed the same issue for the additional reduction. Dmitry Medvedev is uh, questioning whether Ukraine will even exist in two years. One of Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin's closest allies ominously suggested that Ukraine might not exist in two years time. Medvedev, a former president and prime minister of the Russian Federation, who currently serves as deputy head of the country's Security Council, took his telegram channel Wednesday to muse about Ukraine's attempts to secure gas imports from its Western allies. Liquid natural gas is part of a land lease plan with payments for deliveries after two years, Medvedev wrote. Otherwise, the country will freeze next winter. But here's a question. Who said that after two years, Ukraine will even exist on the world map? But it makes no difference to the Americans. They so invested in their anti-Russian project that everything else is trivial to them, end quote. Yahoo reports, suggesting a country should be wiped off the map is inherently genocidal. The U.N. defines genocide as acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial or religious group. Ukraine is refusing to surrender the Donbass city of Severodon. Donetsk uh, independent uh, reports that Ukraine's uh, is ignoring a Russian ultimatum to surrender the eastern city today. Russia told Ukrainian forces sheltering in a chemical plant in the ruined Donbass city to stop senseless resistance and lay down their arms from Wednesday morning, pressing its uh, advantage in the battle for control of eastern Ukraine. Ukraine said more than 500 civilians, including 40 children, remained alongside soldiers inside the Azot chemical works as the Russian bombardment of the surrounding city continued. Officials made no reference to the Russian ultimatum in remarks to a press uh, on Wednesday. Moscow had said it would let civilians evacuate the plant on Wednesday, but Russian-backed separatists said Ukraine selling had um, shelling rather had uh, scuppered that plan. New York uh, wrote... uh, 
New York pot. I'm not sure. I think it's supposed to be post here. I misspelled. Uh, with those reports, the siege of the city be, uh, began to mirror the tragedies of Mariupol, where defenders and residents held out for weeks in the bowels of a steel plant. But unlike the siege there, Ukrainian controls several Donetsk is not yet completely cut off from the rest of Ukrainian territory, despite Russian forces destroying the three bridges connecting the city to another Ukrainian-held city. President Biden signed an executive order securing LGBTQ rights. President Biden signed the order Wednesday amid an combating a historic number of anti-LGBTQ bills introduced in state legislatures across the country. One might also characterize the legislation as protecting the innocence of small children. The order will direct federal health and education agencies to expand access to gender-affirming care and advanced LGBTQ inclusive learning environments at American schools. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. Do want to remind you, coming up in our second hour, we'll talk right at the top with Michael Morris, managing editor of Free Speech America with the Media Research Council and the president's Gender Disinformation Board, which is uh, set to censor unwanted speech. And we'll talk with Luke Cirillo, CEO of First Image, about attacks on area pregnancy resource centers. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, more bad news for baby formula. Another troubling aspect of the president's economy has been ongoing supply chain issues. Over the last couple of months, the supply issue getting the most attention has been baby formula. Well, matters just got worse. Abbott Laboratories had to once again close down operations at its Sturgis, Michigan plant. The plant is the largest in the country and produces leading brands of baby formula like Similac. Well, damage from recent severe storms is the culprit this time, not contamination. that requires a massive recall that exacerbated the crisis back in February. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Dr. Robert Califf said that uh, he'd been... um, He'd been made aware of the situation, but noted Abbott has been exceeding the monthly quantity of formula that it produced in 2021, all while the Sturgis facility is out of production. Other producers also continue to make formula at higher than average rates. This means that the total amount of formula available, even before the Sturgis plant is back in production, exceeds the demand for formula prior to the recall. Abbott is one of the four country companies rather that combined to account for 90% of all formula produced here in the U.S. Apparently, nobody wants to see Vice President Kamala Harris. The DNC had to reschedule a planned fundraising event featuring Kamala Harris due to a lack of ticket sales. Now, you can assume that's the reason the tickets didn't sell. There may have been other explanations. Status Coup News reports the event was rescheduled last minute from the... Uh, autumn when the event is traditionally held after the event couldn't sell enough tickets when the invites were sent out on may the 5th it was hyped as an incredible opportunity to mingle in person with two years after two years of virtual events and meetings ticket prices for the event ranged from 250 to fifty thousand dollars the ticket price for the much coveted photo line started at fifteen thousand with uh, Harris still polling below Joe Biden with an average approval rating of just 28 percent, it comes as little surprise that few folks wanted to fork out that much money in a support of a deeply unpopular and gaff-prone politician. One imagines that upon hearing the news of the event's rescheduling, she might have just laughed, as she does. An alleged would-be Brett uh, Ka- Kavanaugh assassin has been indicted for attempted murder. 
President Biden has directed Health and Human Services to expand access to sex assignment surgeries, including for children. The American Medical Association calls abortion bans a violation of human rights ahead of the Supreme Court decision on abortion. And uh, Dr. Fauci has tested positive for COVID-19. COVID vaccines for children who are not at risk moves closer to uh, FDA authorization. And George Washington University voted to remove their colonial mascot. A U.S. military ground raid in Syria captured a top ISIS leader. Well, on the Senate's bipartisan efforts on gun control, the National Review reports that a bipartisan coalition of senators on Sunday reportedly reached an agreement on gun legislation encompassing gun trafficking, enhanced background checks, funding for mental health and school safety and other items. The framework includes funding to help states pass and implement crisis intervention orders known as red flag laws that will allow law enforcement to confiscate weapons from people deemed dangerous. The package would also allocate billions in new funding for mental health and school safety, he said, including money for the national build-out of community mental health clinics. It also targets the boyfriend loophole, and the closing of which would prevent violent spouses or domestic abusers from acquiring a firearm if they're convicted of abuse against their partner. Well, China claims the U.S. is attempting to hijack the Pacific, The Associated Press uh, reports that China's defense minister accused the U.S. on Sunday of trying to hijack the support of countries in the Asia-Pacific region to turn them against Beijing, saying Washington is seeking to advance its own interests under the guise of multilateralism. Farmer John is planning to close a meatpacking plant in Vernon, California. The Farmer John meatpacking plant there, a Frequent target of protests by animal rights advocates critical of the treatment of pigs at the facility will close next year with its Virginia-based owner Friday citing the rising cost of doing business in California. According to Smithfield Foods, the plant will close in early 2023. The company is also exploring strategic options to exit its farms in Arizona and California. Farmer John's employees, about 2,000 people in the Vermont, uh, the Vernon uh, plant, Company officials said it's uh, providing transition assistance to employees at the plant, including relocation options to other Smithfield facilities and farms. The Taliban is punishing civilians who help their opposition. Civilians in part of northern Afghanistan have been illegally arrested and tortured by Taliban forces for associating with a rival group. According to human rights organizations, it comes as little surprise. Human Rights Watch, an American-based organization, said the the civilians have been uh, caught up in the Taliban's efforts in Afghanistan's Panjshir uh, province to combat attacks on Taliban forces in that region. Ratings for the January 6th commission prove Americans don't care as much as hoped. Ratings for the liberal media uh, primetime January 6th commission hearing took a nosedive because it turns out Americans didn't care about the uh, uh, hysteria of the event. During the evening's most popular time slots, ABC, NBC and CBS took major hits as very few people turned uh, for the night's propaganda theater. Justin Trudeau tells Canadians guns are not for self-defense. The Daily Wire points out that guns are for hunting and target practice, but never for self-defense. That's according to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Uh, continuing his crusade against firearms. Trudeau, who is pushing for a sweeping measure aimed at freezing the sale, purchase and transfer of handguns in Canada, told the Pod Save America podcast that uh, his country takes a completely different view of firearms than his southern neighbor. 
Um, no one in Canada has a right to defend themselves, he said, their family or their property with a firearm, he declared. I'd be interested in polling Canadians to see if they agree. Sarah Palin advanced to Alaska's special election. It's a general election. Former Alaska governor and 2008 vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin appears poised to advance in the special general election for the House, taking the lead in the primary on Saturday with a 30 percent percentage of the uh, of the vote. Vladimir Putin equates himself to Peter the Great. Uh, Putin elaborated on his imperial vision during a June 6th event in Moscow to mark the 350th birthday of the Russian czar, Peter the Great. He spoke admiringly, admiringly, I get that out, of Tsar Peter's achievements during the Great Northern War and drew direct parallels to his own contemporary expansionist policies. The National Park Service renamed a peak in Yellowstone after deeming the name offensive. The National Park Service announced last week that Yellowstone National Park's Mount Doan would be renamed First People's Mountain. The agency said Thursday the change was taken to remove an offensive name from America's first national park. The U.S. Board on Geographic Names voted unanimously affirming the decision. The mountain was previously named after explorer Gustav Doan. Violence over abortion continues as a fourth pregnancy center was firebombed for abortion protesters gathered near the SCOTUS building awaiting the Roe versus Wade decision that has yet to be announced. Well, this day in history, 1858, accepting the Illinois Republican Party's nomination for the U.S. Senate, Abraham Lincoln says the slavery issue has to be resolved, declaring a house divided against itself cannot stand. 1903, Ford Motor Company is incorporated. 1911, IBM, now known as the International Business Machines, has its beginnings as the Computing Tabulating Recording Company, incorporated in New York State. 1963, the world's first female space traveler, Valentina Tereshkova, 26, is launched into orbit by the Soviet Union aboard Vostok 6. 1986, subway vigilante Bernie Goetz, is acquitted of attempted murder for his controversial New York subway shooting. 1996, Russian voters go to the polls in their first uh, independent presidential election. The result is a runoff between President Boris Yeltsin, the eventual winner, and communist challenger Gennady Zayugnov. 2009, President Barack Obama meets the South Korean President Lee Myung-bak at the White House. Afterward, the president declares North Korea a grave threat to the world and pledges the U.S. and its allies would enforce new penalties against the nuclear-armed nation aggressively. 2014, President Obama notifies Congress that up to 275 troops could be sent to Iraq to provide support and security for U.S. personnel and the American embassy in Baghdad. Turns out it was too little, too late. 2014, a divided Supreme Court sides with gun control groups and the Obama administration, ruling that the federal government can strictly enforce laws that ban a straw purchaser from buying a gun from somewhere else. And in 2015, Donald Trump launches his campaign to become president of the United States. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show News and Traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Luke Cirillo. He is the CEO of First Image. We'll talk about the attack recently on the Gresham Pregnancy Resource Center. That's coming up in just a few moments.
But first, the Biden administration is launching a new task force and they're aiming to prevent what they say is online harassment, abuse. And they're going after alleged disinformation, more specifically, alleged gender disinformation online. Is this another disinformation governance board? In other words, a 2.0. Well, the Media Research Center has asked that very question. In fact, the founder and president, Brent Bozell, he says nothing good can come out of the White House Gender Policy Council, especially when they collude with big tech. Well, here to talk with us about that is Michael Morris. He's managing editor of Free Speech America and Business at the Media Research Center. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So what's going on? I thought the the notion of a disinformation governance board was already discredited. Is this the same thing only by another name? Well, look, you know, you know as well as I do, and many in the conservative movement know this too, that these sort of government programs never really go away. They just rebrand, redo, retry, relabel, rename, and try to come back another day. That may be what's going on here too. Not really sure. But what we do know is that the disinformation board is down but not out. Um, in fact, just a little over a week ago, DHS, um, through a NTAS bulletin, that's the National Terrorism Advisory System, released in a bulletin that DHS remains focused on disinformation that threatens the security of the American people, including disinformation spread by foreign states such as Russia, China, and Iran, or other adversaries such as trans national criminal organizations and human smuggling organizations. That's according to DHS Bolton. So it was supposed to have been on a pause, but reporting from CNSnews.com uh, under the umbrella of Media Research Center on June 8th showed that that's not actually the case. So we're being told that gender disinformation will be one of their major focuses, but it's also non-consensual distribution of intimate digital images, sexual harassment, um, this is all uh, unveiled by the vice president. It seems uh, inordinately broad and focused all at the same time. And what is the what is the goal? Is it to censor that information for the government to monitor communication among American citizens, undermining the notion of free speech? Is it clear what more sp- precisely they intend to do? Well, they outline their mission and function on their WhiteHouse.gov. Uh, briefing. It says the task force shall work across executive departments, agencies, and offices to assess and address online harassment and abuse that constitute technology-facilitated gender-based violence. And then they give a list of things. Well, one of the things that they give in the list is actually disinformation campaigns targeting women and LGBTQI plus individuals who are public and political figures, government and civic leaders, activists, and journalists in the United States and globally. Well, as I mentioned earlier, they like to use these catchphrases, and it reminds me of a movie, actually. There's a, there's a good movie. I like this movie. My wife and I enjoy it greatly, actually. It's a Tom Cruise film um, with Cameron Diaz. It's called Night and Day, and uh, he, he's this sort of spy guy. And uh, long story short, Cameron Diaz gets captured, and Tom Cruise warns her in the film, there's a few common words that the feds will use, keywords to listen for, reassuring words like stabilize, secure, safe. If the feds, if they say these words, particularly with repetition, it means they're going to kill you. That's what Tom Cruise said in the film. Well, it's same thing here. The left loves to use certain keywords, these reassuring words that make you feel like you're safe, make you feel like you're secure, make it 
make you feel like they're actually doing something good. Well, they're getting rid of disinformation, right? Well, that's not really what's going on here. They're, they're trying to censor information, and we've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we certainly have. Now, who's going to serve on this task force, uh, this whole-of-government approach mm-hmm. to censoring the American people? Well, they've got a whole list of individuals. They've got the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, the Attorney General, the Secretary of Commerce, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary of Education. The list goes on and on and on and on. But as I mentioned, we've been here before. You know, no one wants violence and abuse online, but leftists had cited these issues, particularly violence, as a facade for their anti-free speech agenda before Amazon, remember, the platform pro-free speech par- the, the app parlor and claimed it hosted violent content. Big Tech also deplatformed then-President Donald Trump, allegedly for inciting or encouraging violence. But if you recall, he was actually calling for peace in the video that he posted right before he was taken offline. And of course, a lot of this stuff was encouraged by, by members of the Democratic Party, um, and, and, and yet we have this ongoing narrative that somehow they need to eliminate disinformation online, which is just key or a keyword for censorship. Well, this really is incredible. And of course, it was uh, announced as something that was uh, innovative and going to be very helpful to the American people. It was just announced. But how has the response been so far? And are you optimistic that this disinformation board will uh, will fade as did the uh, the original? Uh, or is this just going to be um a matter of introducing similar efforts until the, the, the American people are just worn down? Well, one thing's for sure. The American people need to be apprised and made aware of all of these instances of government trying to come after so-called disinformation. Um, you know, I- any time government goes and tries to silence information online, there's the potential for First Amendment free speech coming up. And and that may be the case here if, in fact, they are targeting individuals for their speech online coming from a government entity. Um, so, you know, the best we can do as conservatives is to continue to, to let our viewers know that free speech is of the utmost importance. The answer to bad speech or wrong speech isn't less speech or censoring speech. It's more speech. Are you optimistic that resisting these efforts that seem to uh, uh, arise every so often, uh, that they will be successfully resisted? Or do you see us moving in in the direction in which disinformation, as defined by political um, opponents of certain ideas, will succeed ultimately in transforming really the the core values of this republic? Well, I think we can definitely win on this issue. It's just a matter of pointing it out. You know, uh, Senator Josh Hawley actually uh, brought up whistleblower documents uh, with regard to the Disinformation Governance Board just uh, back on June 10th. He's uh, just quoting him here. He said, we see that, in fact, the Disinformation Board from the beginning was meant to track and go after political speech that his administration did not favor, the Biden administration, who he's talking about here. Um, And this information was was obtained from a patriotic whistleblower. He said, as we look through the documents, you see that what the secretary told the committee about the disinformation board, of course, he's talking about Mayorkas, about the operation is just not true. 
Um, he said repeatedly, uh, Mayorkas told this committee that, this, that the disinformation board would just be a working group, just a working group, but that's not the, what the documents say. He said there's a charter, a proposed charter, that the secretary himself signed personally on February 24, 2022, that described the disinformation board as having the authority to set up guidelines, guidelines for the American people. And, and you know, we can almost be certain that that's, that's exactly what they're trying to do here, but we've exposed it. People like you on the radio, people, people like us here at MRC, we're exposing them, and we can hold them to account. And as they did with the Disinformation Governance Board, they'll have to pause this one, too, if we hold their feet to the fire. Well, I, I do want to just talk a moment about the Media Research Center. You're so helpful in providing information that we might not uh, catch up uh, or catch on to. Um, tell our listeners how they can be helped in terms of getting good, timely information by MRC. Sure. You can check us out at newsbusters.org. Uh, some of the work that I do over here at MRC Free Speech America can be found on the Free Speech tab. Also find some of the work that we do over here at the business tab under newsbusters.org. We also keep track of censorship cases, and that's instances where you've been blocked, censored, um, otherwise uh, labeled or cast off of big tech platforms. On censortrack.org, you can donate and, of course, also give us your instances or cases of censorship with our contact form there at the bottom of the page. Again, that's censortrack.org. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing, and I appreciate your taking the time to talk with us here today. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Again, my guest, Michael Morris, Managing Editor of Free Speech America and Business at the Media Research Center on the President's Gender Disinformation Board 2.0. Coming up, we'll talk with Luke Cirillo. He is the CEO of First Image. We'll talk about the recent attack on the Gresham Center, as well as the previous attack on the Southeast Portland Center, what they're doing and what we can expect in the days ahead. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As I mentioned yesterday, pro-abortion terrorist group Jane's Revenge claimed credit for a string of recent attacks on pregnancy resource centers across the country. On Tuesday, they declared open season on pro-life organizations as the Supreme Court ruling in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health draws closer. Well, in a statement posted by the radical leftist news website on Tuesday, the organization vowed to attack any pro-life group that doesn't close their doors. Those pro-life organizations that do shut down will be spared, they say. But until you do, it's open season and we know where your operations are. Through attacks, uh, attacking, we find joy, courage, and strip the veneer of impenetrability held by these violent institutions. I'm sorry, I'm puzzled by the description of a pregnancy resource center as a violent institution. But that's a quote from the statement. They went on to say everyone with the urge to paint, to burn, to cut, to jam. Now is the time. Go forth and manifest the things you wish to see. Well, the group also owned up to uh, other recent incidents of intimidation in Wisconsin and Florida, Massachusetts, Olympia, Washington, Vancouver, Eugene, here in Portland, in Gresham. They go on to say, we work in countless locations invisibly. The attacks began, of course, after the leak of a Supreme Court draft opinion that suggests the court is poised to overturn the 1973 landmark ruling in Roe versus Wade. Well, as you probably know by now, One of our local pregnancy resource centers was the object of that kind of violence. The Gresham Pregnancy Resource Center was set on fire 
At about 3 a.m. in the morning last week, and it appears an incendiary device was thrown through the window. rather, The alarm system immediately alerted fire and police. They arrived very quickly and extinguished the fire. It was mostly contained to one room, but the damage there was extensive, and there is additional water and smoke damage and other parts of the building. Now, the Gresham Center was anticipating a remodel at some point in the not-too-distant future. And so we all wait and wonder, what's next? And will authorities appropriately not just pursue incidents like this singular event, but across the country, this wave of terror that has been rather brazen in pointing to the fact that this is their intent? Well, here to talk with us about all of that is Luke Cirillo. He is CEO of First Image. And they oversee the pregnancy resource centers here in the Portland metro area. Now, I should point out before I, I um, invite Luke on the air that the pregnancy resource centers are not political organizations. They do not advocate political positions. They serve women who find themselves in a circumstance they are not prepared for. Um, they, the only time they have ad- advocated publicly is for the, their own existence when that was challenged by pro-abortion Advocates. So joining us, Luke Cirillo, CEO of First Image. Luke, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Georgine. Well, I painted a picture that was painted by some groups that are saying it's open season on pregnancy resource centers. And I was so impressed by the way your center and others are responding to this uh, to this violence. And I want to get into that in just a few moments. But before I do, I want to congratulate you as the new CEO of First Image. You're not new to the ministry, but uh, you have now become the CEO. And I want to congratulate you for uh, taking on that responsibility. Oh, thank you so much, Georgine. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor and it's a really interesting time to be stepping in. Well, I talked a little bit about what happened at the Gresham Pregnancy Resource Center. Can you explain to us uh, what happened, how you found out uh, what had happened, and what the situation is now? Absolutely. I got a call at about 3 o'clock in the morning on uh, Friday, June 10th, from the police who notified me via our uh, security firm that someone was trying to enter the front of the building, and then soon after that, that there was actually a fire inside the building. So at that point, um, a few of our team uh, went out to the center, um, along with the police, the fire, uh, ATF, um, to uh, put the fire and to investigate what was going on. So that was a process that took um, the rest of that morning and most of that day. And at this point, we still haven't been able to get back into the building, so we actually don't have a full idea of what the full extent of the damage is, you know, it's really significant. Um, Aside from the fire damage, um, smoke is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And um, as of, you know, like four days after the fire, you could still smell the smoke block away coming from the building. So, um, so yeah, really, really significant damage. Um, And at this point we're closed down temporarily at that location. Um, our staff has relocated to our Southeast Center and will be working on it there for a while. Um, but, yeah, we're committed to um, doing what we need to get back open. And as, as you mentioned, we were already um, at the front end of the process of renovating that center. So we're looking forward to opening back up into a beautiful, warm, inviting um, space as soon as we possibly can. My understanding is an incendiary device was thrown through a window. Has that been confirmed? 
Uh, yeah. So, um, in conversations with the police after it happened, um, what they told us is that there was the remains of a wine bottle um, in that room, uh, in the middle of that room, um, and uh, the the window was broken. Was broken. So it appears they threw a bottle, um, you know, likely a Molotov cocktail through that window uh, into that room. Um, they tried to enter the building first and weren't able to. And so it seems like that was what they did. That was the Next, plan B. BCF and, mm-hmm. yeah, they haven't um, released a statement about it, but that was what they told us in our conversations about it. My understanding is the Southeast Portland Pregnancy Resource Center was vandalized a few weeks earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, on I believe it was May 5th, um, all of the windows on one side of the building were broken out, including the door, and an anti-PRC message was spray-painted um, on the side of the building. Um, you know, thankfully, they didn't actually enter the building in that case, and so there's a lot of damage. It's about $15,000 worth of, mm. of damage, um, but the inside of the building wasn't um, wasn't significantly uh, damaged. So um, we were able to open back up soon. And that's been one of the really incredible things just about our team. You know, when that happened at the Southeast Center, they were, um, they wanted to get back at it later that afternoon. And we said, we should probably wait until at least tomorrow (laughs) um, so we can get the windows boarded up and make this place uh, secure and safe. And so we did that and opened up the next day. Um, But, yeah, I mean, both of these events really um, affect our team's sense of safety, and it's a really targeted, um, hateful sort of attack. And uh, and that, you know, it just, um, yeah, it doesn't, it does not feel good. So I think we're all really feeling that on a pretty deep level. Absolutely, because this could very well be ongoing. My understanding is there's no suspect that's been identified at this point. There's not, no. Um, in the case of the Southeast Center vandalism, we did catch the perpetrators, or at least most of them, on video. Um, but they were they were masked up, and so there's really no identifying um, information about them. Um, it was a very quick attack. It took about 30 seconds to do that damage. And, um, yeah, so at, at this point, it doesn't seem like there's any leads, but I will say I've been incredibly impressed by it the local police, the ATF, um, the fire department, the FBI are all involved, taking it very seriously, doing um, real due diligence on the investigative side. So um, I think we're all feeling encouraged by that. Yeah, very grateful for first responders. Now, we've spent the first part of our conversation talking about what others have done to the center. I want to spend the latter heart part of our conversation talking about what the PRCs do and what they don't do. Uh, one of the um, the allegations made uh, by the, the organization I mentioned earlier was that um, they made reference to the violence that's done in these centers. I want to address that by talking about what you all actually do. And I also want to mention how impressed I am uh, in a statement that you issued a few days ago in which you made the point that you and the staff and volunteers at the Pregnancy Resource Centers of the Portland metro area reject and refuse to have any part in the culture of hate. 
that Jesus has modeled a different way and it's a way of love. And that's how you've chosen to respond to this circumstance, which is in and of itself extraordinary. And the fact that your staff is prepared to resume work as soon as is possible again, speaks loudly about the motivation and the love that these uh, men and women express in our community in serving. We're going to talk more about that in the second part of our conversation. We'll leave the violent stuff behind and pray that God would identify those responsible. But I want to talk about the value of the Pregnancy Resource Centers to our community that is so often denigrated by the broader culture. But we need to understand what it is and to be prayerful about your safety Uh, moving forward. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Luke Cirillo. He is the CEO of First Image. We're talking about the recent attack on the Gresham Pregnancy Resource Center that was preceded by an attack in southeast Portland at the Pregnancy Resource Center. But the work continues. The heart to serve continues. The love of Christ extended into our community continues. And we'll talk about that with Luke Cirillo in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Luke Cirillo. He is the CEO of First Image. Uh, we talked in our first um, uh, segment about the uh, attack on the local Gresham PRC and what happened uh, earlier in Portland. But I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about the extraordinary work of the Pregnancy Resource Centers of the Portland metro area that they have done and will continue to do moving forward. Well, I do want to give you an opportunity to explain what the Pregnancy Resource Centers do. I was rather shocked by the reference to violence in connection to PRCs in this threatening letter that came out from one of the groups that's taken credit for some of these actions. Can you explain to listeners who may not be familiar with what you actually do and may have only heard uh, what critics have said, what do the PRCs do? Why are you here and who are you serving? Absolutely. Yeah, so we have been serving in uh, the greater Portland community for 38 years. And over the course of that time, we have had the opportunity of serving roughly a quarter million people. And uh, we're we're mainly serving um, women who are uh, finding out that they may be pregnant and who are experiencing some sort of um, unsupported pregnancy. So typically these are pregnancy circumstances that need additional, um, need additional resources and support. And so that's what we seek to provide. And we do that through professional medical services um, and, and, and uh, support as well. So I think one of the main misconceptions um, about who we are and what we do is that, um, you know, we're not a real clinic. Um, the reality is that we work under um, an OBGYN and uh, have registered nurses on staff who are providing clinical services that include uh, pregnancy testing, limited first and second trimester ultrasound, um, nurse consultations regarding um, uh, concerns that women may have around their pregnancies, and um, STD and STI testing and treatment. But the real core of the work is the actual connection that happens with a person. So when someone comes into one of our centers, they're experiencing, uh, you know, they they encounter someone who is there, a group of people, but they'll they'll first talk to a person who um, cares deeply about them, about where they're at, 
about what they're experiencing. And so we're having um, in-depth conversations with people who are coming to us about the whole uh, set of experiences that has brought them in. And, and so, and then we're seeking to provide a robust um, network of support in response to that. Um, so that includes, as I mentioned, the medical services we provide, but it also include, includes connecting um, women's social services uh, to practical help, um, you know, with maternity uh, clothes and, and, um, and baby clothes and diapers and car seats, some of that material support that people frequently need. Um, but really, uh, really at the heart of it is that connection with a person, with a set of people who care at a deep level and, um, and want to have those deeper conversations uh, to help women to be able to move um, to a place where they can move forward confidently. Um, and we walk with women regardless of what they ultimately decide mm -hmm. to do. I think that's another significant misconception yes. about who we are and what we do. Um, you know, our heart is just, you know, we have open arms um, to all of the people who come to us, treat them with dignity and respect, uh, regardless of their background or circumstances. That's a core belief for us. I mean, one of the core things it means um, to us that we are um, an organization that does this work um, out of our belief uh, in the and what he's done in the world is that, um, we believe every person is created in the image of God, and so they're worthy of um, dignity and respect and care. And that's what we that's what we work to do. Now, presumably, the pretext for attacking pregnancy resource centers across the country is the decision the U.S. Supreme Court may make at some point in the very near future regarding the uh, the stance of Roe versus Wade. The pregnancy resource centers, as I've mentioned earlier, you are not advocacy groups. You're not public policy groups. You're certainly impacted by those things, but that's not the focus of your attention. Uh, and that's not the focus of your work. Uh, when a pregnancy resource center is forced to shut down, the real victim here isn't the center as much as the expectant mother, uh, the woman who comes to find out if she's pregnant or the one who comes to uh, to receive the help and resources she needs to deal with what may be a very challenging set of circumstances. So uh, I'm not sure what the point of the violence is. If there's a, a genuine misunderstanding, if there's just an attempt to lash out at whomever, uh, but the work that you're doing is a blessing to the broader community. Um, and, you know, the fact that you continue to work under these uh, challenging circumstances, again, speaks volumes about the heart and the focus of the work. What can we do to support you moving forward in an environment that remains somewhat volatile? You know, I think that um, genuinely, uh, prayer is something that we that we cover right now. We really do believe that um, the battle's not against flesh and blood, and, and so that means that our work that we do um, happens in a different place. And so, um, so yeah, we really covet the prayers of our community and and invite that. There is specific work that we're doing to um, rebuild what's happening with the Gresham Center, um, and so uh, information can be found about that on our website. Both um, volunteering, so we're going to need a lot of volunteers in the process of doing that renovation um, and and giving and supporting that way. Um, so those are some areas that we're kind of inviting support in this season. 
As we are praying for the the centers, we are reminded that they are staffed by regular people who have a heart to serve. This has to be very challenging for your staff and volunteers to reenter a facility that's been the target of violence. Um, And for them, I would imagine there are wounds that are still fresh. How might we pray specifically for personnel? Yeah, well, I think you said it. Um, There's the grief process I think that's happening right now. Um, We're trying to create space for that uh, with our team Um, to be able to say, you know, speak the things that need to be spoken. And we're also offering support to our team um, in other ways so that they can talk to the people that they need to talk to. Um, to be able to work through any of those things that might be going on uh, internally. We also are working pretty hard to get security measures in place that can be real practical safety stuff. So, um, yeah, I think um, some of the feelings that come up after something like this are just, well, a lot of it's just involuntary. You know, I think the team that experienced the vandalism uh, initially at the Southeast Center um, felt it pretty deeply when it happened again. And so one of my biggest concerns going forward is that the more stuff, the more things like this happen, um, it, you know, it, it's wound upon wound. And so um, just praying for our team that we can remain uh, soft and open-hearted, um, continue to, you know, get the support that, that they need in order to be able to um, remain healthy in this in this time, mm-hmm. um, and also for perseverance. Um, I mean, we do have an incredibly brilliant team. I'm totally blown away by them, um, and perseverance is a thing that we are called to. Uh, but you know, um, need support. So yeah, it can be very difficult. Yeah. How has this impacted um, your would-be and existing clients? You know, at this point, it's it's a little hard to say. Um, the biggest concern is having to close down the Gresham Center for mm-hmm. a while. You know, uh, we weren't we weren't anticipating that. So, I think there's going to be a number of people who maybe won't be able to get to us that normally would. Um, but most of our clients seem undaunted. You know, they're walking up to the Southeast Center, which is boarded up, um, walking up to a place like that and. I mean, unfortunately, given our current moment in Portland, that's true in a lot of places. And so um, nobody seems to be phased at this point, and the work is continuing um, in the way that it always has. Well, we praise God for that. That is always, absolutely, that that is always my biggest concern is that um, these, or one of my biggest concerns is that these events like this will compromise a sense of safety for clients who are coming in. Um, So that's something we can be praying for as well. Well, once again, I want to encourage our listeners to pray, pray for the safety of the centers that are open, that the Gresham Center would be able to be um, remodeled and reopened uh, sooner than anticipated. And for the safety and the peace of mind and just the, the psyche of those who are working in uh, the, the Southeast Portland Center uh, from Gresham, that uh, the Lord would just put a hedge of protection around every member of the staff and the volunteers. There are opportunities to give. As was mentioned, the Gresham Center is going to be re- uh, renovated now, perhaps more than was originally planned. But uh, there's going to be a need for folks to volunteer who might be able to uh, contribute directly to the work, either by doing the work or by helping to underwrite the work. And also there'll be opportunities to serve. So I would encourage you to prayerfully consider how might I respond 
to this moment uh, in Gresham and in Portland to uh, help uh, support and encourage the very courageous men and women who serve our pregnancy resource centers in the Portland metro area. And I should mention Options 360 had one of their centers uh, damaged as well. Well, Luke, I am so grateful for your leadership and, again, your courage in uh, continuing to do the work. And we will keep you in our prayers and trust that God will provide everything needed in the days uh, days ahead. Thank you so much, Georgine. Thank you. God bless. Again, uh, Luke Cirillo is the CEO of First Image. We've been talking about what happened at the Gresham Center and some weeks back at the Portland, the Southeast Portland Center, as violence uh, directed at pregnancy resource centers has escalated. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. We just finished a conversation with Luke Cirillo, CEO of First Image, and I wanted to follow up with a couple of things. A coalition of pro-life organizations sent a letter to the Attorney General Merrick Garland on Thursday, and they're demanding action to address the recent wave of pro-abortion terrorism and intimidation. Well, in the letter, organized by the nonprofit Catholic Vote, 25 pro-life leaders, mostly think tank presidents, called the Justice Department's attention to the many attacks on PRCs, churches, and even Supreme Court justices that have occurred since the Dobbs majority opinion leak last month. Well, the relative silence from the administration endangers Americans even more, the letter read. One extremist group is advocating for violence in response to the final Supreme Court decision on Dobbs, the group said, invoking a recent statement from a rogue pro-abortion militant group who call themselves Jane's Revenge, promising to unleash a rampage of violence against pregnancy centers who don't close their doors. Well, the group has taken credit for dozens of attacks in recent weeks in which pro-life pregnancy resource centers were firebombed, graffitied, otherwise vandalized. Again, the uh, uh, the letter goes on to suggest another group has published home addresses and encouraged people to show up at Supreme Court justices homes at churches, their children's schools in an attempt to coerce the justices. The leaders also cited the attempted assassination of Justice Kavanaugh. So they are asking for a specific response from the Justice uh, Department. Since May of 2020, over 130 incidents have occurred across 29 states in the District of Columbia at Catholic properties alone. The letter points out some of these incidents have included arson, statues being beheaded, damaged or desecrated, gravestones being defaced with swastikas and anti-Catholic epithets, uh, citing 18 U.S. Code 247, which assigns the attorney general the duty of investigating and prosecuting those who do damage to religious property or participate in the obstruction of persons and the free exercise of religious beliefs. The group implored Garland to issue a prompt, comprehensive and public response. So far, Garland has been silent on the threatening warning from Jane's revenge and the string of attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers. However, on Wednesday, White House Assistant Press Secretary Alexandra LaManna told the Daily Wire that violence and the destruction of property have no place in our country under any circumstance. And the president denounces this, although the president hasn't denounced it. He may think that it's a bad idea, but he said nothing. We should all agree, she went on to say, that actions like this are completely unacceptable regardless of our politics. Well, that's absolutely true, but a statement from the top, whether that's the president or the AG, would be most helpful. Also, abortion is on the rise with one in five pregnancies terminated in 2020. The number of and rate of U.S. abortions increased from 2017 to 2020 after a long decline, according to figures released 
yesterday. The report from the Guttmacher Institute, the research group that supports abortion rights, counted more than 930,000 abortions in the U.S. in the year 2020. That's up from about 862,000 in the year 2017. I just have to stop for a moment and consider this staggering number, whether it's the 930,000 in 2020 or the 862,000 abortions in 2017. It's heartbreaking. Uh, When national abortion figures reached their lowest point since 1973 in 2017, when the U.S. Supreme Court ruled it legalized the procedure nationwide. Well, about one in five pregnancies ended in abortion in 2020, according to that report, which comes as the Supreme Court appears ready to overturn that decision. The number of women obtaining abortions illustrates a need and underscores just how devastating a Supreme Court decision is going to be for access to an absolutely vital service. That's a quote from Sarah Rosenbaum, a George Washington University health law and policy professor, believing that abortion is essential. Medication abortions, the two drug combination sometimes called abortion pill, accounted for 54 percent of U.S. abortions in 2020. The first time they made up more than half of abortions. Now, that will be the new frontier in the pro-life movement should Roe versus Wade be overturned. Now, just want to remind you that if Roe versus Wade is overturned, that doesn't mean that abortion is illegal in all 50 states in the United States. It means that um, in states that hadn't um, previously made abortion legal, as in the state of Oregon, it uh, would then fall back to the legislature. It would revert to where abortion stood before the Supreme Court decision in 74. But the legislature would have the, um, I should say 73, the legislature would have the opportunity to determine how that state would treat the practice. All of that said, medical medical abortions, the medication abortions, is an entirely new frontier. And for the first time in 2020, and that's the last year that we have reliable figures, the two-drug combination accounted for 54% of abortions in the United States. So Roe versus Wade overturns access to the uh, medication abortion is a whole nother uh, question. Uh, Anyway, the COVID-19 pandemic may have pushed down the numbers in some states, according to the report. In New York, abortions increased from uh, 2017 to 2019, then fell 6% in 2019 and 2020. One in 10 clinics in New York paused or stopped abortion care in 2020. Texas saw a 2% decrease between 2019 and 2020, coinciding with the pandemic. So that may have played a role in all of this. But to all of that said, um, the final frontier on the subject of abortion is far from over, even if the Supreme Court were to overturn Roe versus Wade, as expected, based on the leaked um, uh, report some uh, months, uh, some weeks ago. So if you are... Concerned, uh, please continue to pray and to prepare for what's next. It'll be a new frontier, but uh, the battle will continue for the life and the innocence of the unborn. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank you for listening and take a moment to thank James Blend for producing Sam Maupin for engineering today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times 
on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.